This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. So would you take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians 13. Last Sunday we began a new sermon series through 1 Corinthians 13 entitled Love Supernaturally. And one of the ways Pastor Jeff led us in that in beginning that series was a challenge to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. 13 verses essential to the Christian life as we're going to find out more about that even this morning as we begin to look at the characteristics of love. And so we really want to encourage you um, to memorize this chapter. It will be good for your soul. Uh, but we also want to help you do that. So um, rather than the passage that we're going to read in a moment being projected on the screen, we would invite you to look at it in your Bible or on your, or on your handheld device. Whatever you're using to read God's Word and to meditate on it during the week, bring that with you here to church so we can study God's Word together. So we want to assist you in doing that. And so without any further ado, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read this entire chapter verses 1 through 13, and church, let us hear the word of God. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let me direct your attention back to the first three words of verse 4. Love is patient. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want to begin this sermon with a confession. And for those of you who have children, you can discern whether or not you want to pass this on to them later on. Here it is. I hate math. I know that's hard to hear for you number-loving mathematical geniuses out there, um, but I have not had a great love affair with math. For the majority of us, can I get a witness? Math is a chore, okay? Don't get me wrong. I know how important it is 
but it doesn't mean I have to love it. And I come by my detestation for math very naturally. When I was in elementary school, I had a traumatic mathematical event. You see, I had this reoccurring dream, this dream that this number kept getting larger and larger and larger, and I tried to keep up counting it, but I couldn't. See, this idea of infinitude and numbers going on and on and on and on totally freaked me out. I'm still dealing with it today, okay? All right? But I had a way of getting back at math. You know what they say, if you have a fear, conquer it. So I decided that I was going to conquer my fear of growing numbers by doing really well in math. So I studied really hard. I did really well in math, even though I didn't come by it naturally. I mean, I even did pretty well on the mathematic portion of the SAT when I was getting ready for college. But it just so happened that math had a way of getting back at me. Let me explain. When I, the Christian college that I enrolled in, they didn't take the SAT. They actually preferred the less popular ACT. So even though I did well on my SAT and my, did, and my, my grades were great, I still got accepted to that college based upon my test scores. But they wanted me, once I got to the school, once I was there on campus, to take the ACT as a means of just going through the, the process that they had that they had preferred. And so I got there to school, I was enrolled, signed up for my classes, I was paying tuition, get to my dorm on campus for the first day, and I find out that two days later, I have to sit in a classroom for four hours and take the ACT. And so I figured, hey, you know, they're not gonna send me away. They already accepted me, so let's just say I didn't take that test very seriously. And so I went through the English and the literature section. And then when I got to the math section, let's just say I took a little liberty with my number two pencil. And instead of doing the equations, I filled in the answers in a design pattern that resembled a Christmas tree. But math had a way of getting back to me. You see, I was enrolled as a theology student. And as a theology student, you didn't have to take math as a part of your course requirements. But I did. You see, I, because I did so poorly on the ACT math section, even though I crushed it on my, a, on my SATs, they told me that I had to take two semesters of basic college math in order for me to graduate. So there I was, my last semester of college, cramming in these math classes just so I could graduate. Take my advice. Don't mess with math. Math always wins. In 1 Corinthians 13, we have been presented with a mathematical equation for the Christian life. It's the calculus of the kingdom, if you will. And regardless if you like math or not, you must give attention to this apostolic arithmetic because it is essential for the everyday Christian life. And so here's the equation. You've heard me read it. Maybe you didn't see it mathematically, but here's what the Apostle Paul has written on the chalkboard of Scripture. Anything minus love equals nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. The Apostle Paul is saying, do the math. Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. X minus Heart equals zero. You say, that's some harsh math. Well, Pastor Jeff told us last week that this passage isn't meant to 
fall upon our hearts with sentimentality. This isn't a love poem. This is more like an apostolic kick in the pants. (laughs) Because this church needed to be confronted for their lack of love. This church needed to be confronted because even though they had good theology in their head, even though they were doing good kingdom works with their hands, they were missing Christ-like love in their hearts. And although they had good theology and although they did good works, when you take love out of the equation, all of that amounted to nothing. The same is true for us. We can have all the right theology in our head, church. We can even do really good works with our hands. But if it doesn't issue forth from a heart that loves God and loves others, church, it's worthless. It's nothing. It's like Paul saying, you want to be a zero? You want to gain nothing in this life? Then just subtract love. And that's what you'll be. And that's what you'll get. Nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. So the goal of this chapter is spirit-empowered addition. Anything plus love equals something that's good for others and glorifying to God. Didn't Jesus say this? Didn't Jesus say when, when, when he was approached, what's the greatest commandment? He said, here's the first. Love God with all you got and then love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to live a life in submission to Jesus that makes a meaningful difference in the lives of those around you, in the lives of those around you in this room, in the lives of those around you in this city, if you want to make a a difference in the lives of those around you and bring glory to the Father above you, then add love to everything. Anything plus love equals infinite possibilities to bless others and bring glory to God. So the goal of this apostolic admonition is by the power of the Holy Spirit, add love to all you do. I mean, it's the secret sauce of the Christian life, right? Love is better than that honey roasted barbecue sauce you get at Chick-fil-A, right? You got to know about. It's the secret sauce, If you want your life to be a blessing, if you want your life to bring glory to God, then you need the Holy Spirit to put a little love in your heart. And if you're picking up what Paul is putting down, and you say, okay, I get it. Love's a big deal. I want to know what love is. Paul, I want you to show me. Well, that's what he's about to do in verses 4 and following. When you ask the Apostle Paul, What does this love look like? The first words out of his mouth are, love is patient. How do you say that? (laughs) Love is patient. Why are you going to do me like that, Apostle Paul? Love is patient. I'm sure when you hear the word patient, you, you think about how good you are at waiting in long grocery lines. How, how, how exceptionally comfortable you are sitting in rush hour traffic, bumper to bumper. How much you love waiting for your number to be called at the DMV, right? Now, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. When I hear the word patience, I begin to 
more fully realize that if I'm going to love like God calls me to love, I need Jesus to help me out big time. Because if love is patient, then there's not a soul in this room that's got love down. So it's time to check our math and make sure that love, patient love, is a part of the equation. Amen? So let's consider how love is patient. And here's the big idea I want to work from this morning as we look at these three words in this text. The Christ who loves us patiently calls us to love others patiently. And there's a relationship between the way Christ loves us patiently and the way that we are called and empowered to love one another patiently. The Christ who loves us patiently calls us to love others patiently. Let's look at this in two parts. This is not a very creative outline this morning. We're going to look at an explanation of patient love and an application of patient love. Pretty simple, straightforward, and with, a, with three words like this, we need it to be straightforward, right? Amen? An explanation of patient love. Love is patient. The word patient in our English translation uh, looks like it's an adjective, but actually it's a verb. In fact, this whole section is filled with verbs that colorfully describe positively and negatively what love looks like in action, because love is an action. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee makes the following observation. He says, with a series of 15 verbs, Paul proceeds to describe the love that he has just insisted is the synquinon or the essence of Christian behavior. So what this means is that Paul is not describing for us in this text the general characteristics of love. That would be, that's what adjectives do. What he's doing is he's showing us what love does and doesn't do in action. Love acts like this. Love doesn't act like that. And the first thing we find here is that love patiently waits. Patiently waits for what? Our three-word phrase in our English translation, love is patient, is actually only two words in the original Greek of the New Testament. One of those words Pastor Jeff introduced us to yesterday, agape, or last Sunday, agape, which is one of the four words for love in the New Testament. This is the most dominant word that's used for love. This is a love that's often used to refer to the divine love of God and, and the love that we're called to show like Christ shows to us. That's agape. That's the first word. Love is patient. That's a, another interesting word. Um, it's a word, again, I don't like to show off Greek, but this is the word markothumeo. And the word here gives us this idea. It's two words. The word macro means long, and thumeo means temperate or temperature. And the idea is long-temperedness, something that takes a long time to rise in temperature. So, so this word is really talking about our emotional thermostat. It describes taking a long time to heat up. 
Um, this kind of shows my age a little bit, but growing up, one of my favorite cartoons was Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes. Any Looney Tunes fans out there? All right. And I used to love watching Bugs Bunny just torment Elmer J. Fudd. I mean, just chase him around, get on his nerves. And you would always see that at some point in time in one of those little cartoons, Elmer J. Fudd would just have it up to here with Bugs Bunny. And sometimes you'd see this illustration of how his, his feet began to glow red. And then the red just continued to rise up throughout his body until his face is completely red. And then he blows his top, right? That's this word. That's the imagery that's behind this word. It takes, this is talking about taking a long time to heat up and blow up. We're used to describing someone as having a short temper. That is someone who, it doesn't take them a long time to get their cage rattled or to set them off or get them good and angry. But this word is talking about the opposite, long-tempered. It talks about taking a long time to get frustrated, a long time before you get irritated or angry. So what, so what Paul is saying here is that love rather than being short-tempered, is long-tempered. Love does not have a short fuse. Love has a long fuse. Doesn't blow up quickly. Again, returning to the world of Looney Tunes. Yes, I'm limited in my illustrations. Okay, it's, 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 it's the coyote um, who's setting up a trap for the roadrunner. And he has this big bunch of dynamite and this long fuse that just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going and going. And then he lights it and he knows it's going to take a long time so that he can be far away from the blast. But it never ends up blowing up. The roadrunner puts it out or it dies out. But that's the point. The fuse is so long, it doesn't end up blowing up. That's what love is. Love is long fused. So what Paul is saying here is that love, to use biblical language, is slow to wrath. Love takes a long time before it gets frustrated. Love is long-tempered versus short-tempered. The old English translation of this verse nailed it when it says in the King James, love suffereth long. That's a good translation. Love is long-suffering. So here's what love does. Here's what patient love does. Patient love endures what it would prefer not to experience for the good of the person who's struggling. Patient love endures what it would prefer not to experience for the good of the person who's struggling. And so if you really care about the person who's struggling in whatever way, then patient love is willing to wait and endure until God does what needs to be done in that person's life. Can you, can you think of anybody who models this well? Now, if you're thinking of yourself, your issue isn't patience, it's pride, okay? <laughs> Nobody in this room. But someone that we've been talking about in this room, someone we've been singing about, someone who's been here with us, not in eyesight, but sensed in our souls. David talks about him in Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Listen, slow to anger and abounding 
and steadfast love. In other words, David says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He loves us patiently. You know who doesn't blow up quickly? You know who's long-suffering and doesn't get easily frustrated, irritated, and angry? Count your blessings. It's the Lord our God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loves patiently. So God's loving nature predisposes him to hold back his wrath toward human rebellion and not give us what we deserve when we deserve it. The Lord patiently waits and gives us time to repent and pursue his forgiveness and transforming grace in Christ. So as we look through this passage that describes love in action, first and foremost, church, it's a description of God in action. If we believe that God is love, like we read in 1 John 4, 16, then love is patient. First and foremost is a description of God who loves us patiently. More specifically, God who loves us patiently in Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. God so loved the world. God so patiently loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. What's that mean? A world broken, corrupt, and crooked on account of sin that deserves nothing but the just wrath and judgment of God patiently is loved by the creator of the world, sending his son not to judge them for their sin, but to make atonement for their sin so that before he returns and judges the living and the dead, we have time to come to him for mercy. That's the patient love of God. Right now, God is patiently loving the world as he waits for his people to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and be a part of his everlasting kingdom. See, that's why patience and kindness go together in verse 4. Jeff is going to preach on love is kind next Sunday, but it's important to at least on the surface understand how they go together. Love is patient and kind. What's that mean? It means in God's patience, he withholds his wrath for our sin. And in God's kindness, he gives us Christ who lived the life we could not live, who died the death we deserve to die so that we might escape the judgment of God through the one who took God's wrath in our place on the cross. So if you are a Christian, marvel at this. That God's love means that he has treated you with patience and kindness in Jesus Christ. I mean, take a moment to consider this for yourself. God has patiently loved you. And God is patiently loving you. Because of your sin, let's be honest, because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. 
I mean, think of all the times that we did what we wanted, when we wanted, however we wanted. Think of all the times that God said no and we defiantly said yes. Think of all the times that God said yes and we defiantly said no. Think of all the times that God says go this way and we said I'll go that way. And while we lived our days in rebellion against the authority and mercy of God, he patiently waits for us to come to him for mercy. Like the father waiting for his son to return. When we finally came to Christ, when your eyes were finally opened to the error of your way and your need of God's forgiveness, when you came to the father and you said, have mercy on me, the father did not say to you, where have you been all this time? Because of my son Jesus, I forgive all your sin, remove all your judgment, cleanse all your shame, take away all your guilt. Oh, church, we are loved patiently by God. Would you just take a moment to thank him for his patient love? Thank him for waiting on you even when you didn't know that a time was coming when you would bow down at the feet of Jesus. And submit to him as your Savior and Lord. Think about how patiently you are loved by God. How patiently he waited for you to come the first time. And now how he patiently waits for us to change. And become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. God does not just put up with us. He patiently loves us in Christ. Church, that is good news. Amen. And now what we're being told here in this text is that the Christ who has shown us patient love, the Christ who is patient love incarnate, calls us as his body to be the hands and feet of his patient love and to show patient love to others. And so, in general, as Jeff led us last week to consider, we're being called by the power of the Holy Spirit to love like Christ out of an awareness that we have been so richly, infinitely, unconditionally loved by Christ himself. And so, based on this, this love that Christ has patiently showered upon us, we hear exhortations in Scripture like Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Listen carefully. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. With patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm so glad the Apostle Paul just dealt with the, with the elephant in the room. Sometimes we're hard to deal with. Sometimes I'm hard to deal with. Sometimes you're hard to deal with. And what's the apostolic command to deal with that? To patiently bear with one another and love. The Christ who saved us is changing us. And we patiently wait for that work of grace to progressively work its way out in each other's lives. So patient love means that instead of reacting to people the way we initially want to, instead of reacting to people 
in a way that we feel like they immediately deserve, we're to wait and give them time to repent and change, just like Jesus did with us. See, the way of Jesus is to patiently bear with one another in love in hopes that the same Jesus who is slowly changing me is also slowly slowly changing the people all around me that test my patience. So the way we always know how to treat others is by the way Jesus treats us. And he treats us with patient love. Now, as Pastor Jeff so, so... sharply brought to our attention, like this is really an important moment to rehearse this for us. This is an important cultural moment. This is always true. This is always important. But right now, this is a significant moment to rehearse this reality. Why? Because we are being trained to respond to people we disagree with. We are being trained to respond to people in unloving ways when we don't like who they are, what they're doing, or what they're saying. In a cancel culture that trains us to jump to conclusions, instantly overact, and cut people off, we desperately need this gospel, this patient love, to reorient us and to reshape us, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath, slow to cancel. Why? Because by the mercy of God, people change. By the mercy of God, The grace of God doesn't leave us where it finds us. The people around us don't need our hot takes on what we think about what they're saying or doing. What they need is a small taste of the patient love of Christ. So if you're like me, you hear that, you're like, yes, amen, that's true, and I stink at it. So how do we grow in this? Second, an application of patient love. And let me just do it this way. Let me give us kind of five handles to grab onto, five practicals for what it takes to grow in patient love. And so let me give these to you and just hope that something sticks as we consider what it looks like or how we go about, rather, growing in patient love. First, patient love takes realism. The call to patient love assumes that people are going to test our patience. The call to patient love assumes that people are going to offend me, fail me, frustrate me, exasperate me, and push my buttons, not every once in a while, but let's be real, every day. So patient love requires this reality check. Patient love is going to be needed to be shown from me every single day. Patient love is always a necessary action. Your spouse is going to require your patient love. Your kids are going to require your patient love. Your siblings are going to require your patient love. Kids, your parents are going to require your patient love. Your co-workers, classmates, Fellow church members, neighbors, and pastors are going to require your patient love. And you're going to need them to be patient with you. 
See, in this broken and sin-cursed world, the people you like the most, the people you love the most, the people you are around the most are going to test your patience the most. And I haven't even brought up the people that we don't really know that we interact with on social media. The things we often quickly say to Louis the liberal or Chrissy the conservative, right? Your patience will be tested every day. So buckle up. Don't be surprised when someone you love tests your patience. Patient love takes realism. Second, practical here, what it takes to grow in patient love. Patient love takes sacrifice. Return to that old English translation of the word patience here. Love is long-suffering. Suffering happens when we're patient with people. Patience always costs us. Patient love deals with the, with, with, the, with the gap in between how people are acting and how the Lord wants them to be. Patient love waits for people to come to their spiritual senses and get in sync with God's ways. Because life only will lose its friction when we're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Patient love gives time and space for people to change. And that's sacrificial. Not letting them have it. Not lashing out. Not speaking your mind. It feels like it would be so satisfying. Sacrifice that urge for the more excellent way. Patient. Love. Patiently bearing with one another in love means that we endure people's rough edges while we wait for things to work out in God's time. The sandpaper is in God's hands, not ours. What else does it take? Patient love takes realism. It takes sacrifice. Third, patient love takes faith. Patient love believes that God will change the people that test our patience. Patient love believes that God will change me. Patient love in faith runs to promises like Philippians 1 verse 6 that says being confident of this very thing, that, that, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Patient love takes faith because it believes that God is at work in everyone's life around you, including your own, helping us grow and increasingly become the person he has made us and redeemed us to be. I mean, think about the patient love of Jesus toward Peter. I mean, it takes patience for me just to read about Peter. He's such a knucklehead. Like he's, before he's the apostle, writing letters to the New Testament churches, he's the knucklehead disciple who keeps putting his foot in his mouth. I mean, Peter's the guy who, when he was with the crowd, he would just step aside and say, hey, everybody, listen up. I got this discipleship thing down. Listen to me. I'll never deny you, Jesus. How'd that go? Right? Jesus is so patient with Peter. Here's why. Because Jesus knew what Peter would become. Jesus knew, let's use this for this, this tense. Jesus knew what Peter was becoming. Right? He encountered Christ, turned his life around, and now he was in the process 
of becoming less and less the disciple with his foot in his mouth and the apostle who laid down his life and died for Jesus. You see, patient love takes faith because patient love doesn't believe that a person's worst moments define them. Patient love believes that by the grace of God, the best version of a person is always yet to come. We are not who we used to be, praise God, but we're also not what we ought to be. Let's wait for God. Patient love takes faith. Fourth handle, what it takes to grow in patient love. Patient love takes action. So with all this talk of sacrifice and faith, I don't want you to get the impression that, that patient love is passive or permissive. Patient love is always looking for the right time and the right place to say the right thing or do the right thing to help a person grow in their character or conduct. In the context of discipleship, church, we should always be looking for opportunities to help each other grow in our love for God and our love for one another. We should always be looking for opportunities to help one another be more deeply conformed to the image of Jesus. And when we're not doing that, we need to help one another. This assumes, this, this patient love assumes deep and meaningful relationships where we actually know each other and are vulnerable with one another. And when we get off the track, we're going, to in, we're going to interact with one another and help each other get our lives on board with God's program. So that's why Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, listen closely. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Sometimes people need to be warned. Sometimes people need to be encouraged. Sometimes people need to be helped. And so we warn, we help, we encourage, but we don't do so expecting instant results. Sometimes our warnings don't lead to immediate repentance. Sometimes our help doesn't feel so helpful. Sometimes our encouragement doesn't lift someone from despondency, depression, and despair. The point isn't to see instant results. The point is to play our part and patiently wait for God to work. So patient love isn't let go and let God and just watch and see what happens. Patient love takes action and is constantly asking the Spirit of God, how can I help those around me? Be what Jesus wants me to be and do what Jesus calls me to do. Finally, final practical application here. What it takes to grow in patient love. Finally, patient love takes patient love. Patient love takes patient love. The only thing, church, that will empower our patient love toward one another is to live each day in the awareness of God's patient love toward me. The only thing that will empower you to show patient love to others is to daily live in the awareness of how patient God is with you. And church, you know this. God is so patient 
with you. God is so patient with me. This is a great prayer from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.5. His prayer is that the Lord would direct their hearts to the love of God and to the patience of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the patience of Christ. Here's what will empower patient love. Patient love takes patient love. It takes having our hearts directed each and every day to God's love and patience towards us. God is so patient with me. How can I not be patient with others? I want to close this morning by reading a a lengthy excerpt from a sermon from a preacher maybe you've never heard of before, Charles Spurgeon. And please allow me to indulge in this lengthy quote. This was a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon on June 17, 1888. It's entitled, The Love of God and the Patience of Christ. And I've asked Pastor Matt if he would be willing to, to add this a link to the sermon um, to the weekly resource email he sends out. He sends out some great articles, some great resources for us to interact with. And I think if you read this sermon in its entirety, it would be good for your soul and it will make up for this poor sermon I'm preaching this morning. But read this sermon. Spurgeon preaches. What a patience that was which Jesus exhibited for us in our redemption. To come from heaven to earth, to dwell in poverty and neglect and find no room even in the inn, admire the patience of Bethlehem. To hold his tongue for 30 years, who shall estimate the wonderful patience of Nazareth and the carpenter's shop? When he spoke to be despised and rejected of men, what patience for him whom angels obey. Oh, the patience of the Christ to be tempted of the devil. One can hardly tell what patience Christ must have had to let the devil come within 10,000 miles of him. For he was able to keep him far down in the abyss below his feet. There is not much in a patience which cannot help itself, but you know well that all the while Christ could have conquered all foes, chased away all suffering, and kept off all temptation. But for our sake, as captain of our salvation, that he might be made perfect through suffering, his patience had its perfect work right to Gethsemane. Do you need, I tell you this, Golgotha with all its woes, its lama sabachthani, its abysmal griefs? Do I need remind you of the patience of Christ for us? When the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, 
patient as a lamb, he opened not his mouth, but stood in omnipotence of patience, all sufficient to endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, but ye have need to enter into the patience of Jesus. But oh, his patience with each one of us. How he has put up with our unbelief, our mistrust, our hard hearts, our indifference, our strange ways. Never lover so kind as he. Blessed be the patience of our best beloved. Patience takes patience. Patient love takes patient love, and we will only grow in our patient love as our hearts are directed day by day to the patient love of God in Christ Jesus. The Christ who patiently loves us calls us to patiently love one another. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.